right, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Welcome to Haven Church. Let's kick it in. Stand up. Put your hands together. Let me hear you. Every chain is broken. Oh, I wanna go. Yeah, I wanna go home. Where every fear is gone. I'm in your open arms where I belong. Where I belong. I'm going Welcome back, Jack. The one-armed pastor. Am I on, Dana? Hello? See, they turned me off. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. He wasn't supposed to be come up right now. I just, I just kind of brought him just, early. Just, just. There we go. All right. So how is everybody? Good. I used to say I could preach with one hand tied behind my back. Today we're going to try it um, in front. But, um, but good. So I'm going to come back up in a little bit. But it's good to see everybody here. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Okay. So um, all that stuff's good. So uh, thanks for all the prayers. Um, I'm on the recovery part. I wear this. I have to wear this a little bit, but mainly I wear it so that people don't slap you on the. It's amazing how many people want to slap you on the shoulder, on the back. I found that out the hard way. Um, so, but um, but thanks for all the prayers. We're doing well, and uh, God is good. Amen. Amen. All right, Wayne, take it away. All right, I'll be back. All right, when does worship begin? Does it begin when I start singing music? Now it begins when you guys walk in this room. You know, I think we confuse, like, what modern worship is and how it affects modern church, you know. And I think a lot of times people confuse what church is. You know, church isn't a building. Church is the people that enter the building. That's what church is. You know, a lot of times people say, oh, I'm into Jesus, but I don't really, I'm, I'm not into church. Well, if you say that, then you're not into Jesus either. But that's what church is about. It's about the people coming together as a community. And again, I'm not the greatest singer. That's why I let you guys sing it with me. That's what it's all about. I do this for you guys, not me.
Jesus, Jesus, my heart will sing no other name.
just um just reminding us that as the sun comes up there's a new day dawning you're rich in love you're slow in anger your name is great and on that day when every single one of us uh succumb to that terminal disease called life that uh that we will praise you all the more because we have so many reasons to love you and so god as we gather here today and we're just worshiping and connecting to you we want to thank you for all the mothers that are gathered here those watching and for every one of us who had a mother um and God, so uh, during this time, just uh, bring your Holy Spirit in a powerful, mighty way. As our uh, young people go to our Shoreline Sunday School ministry, and as the rest of us stay in here and connect, and for those who are watching online or, or may see this later in the week, um, God, just bring your, that same presence that we, we just praise you for right now. For this in all things, we give you praise in Christ's mighty name. Everybody says, amen. amen. All right, our children can go ahead now, and for everyone else, greet one another around you. All right, all right, here we go. How you doing? All right, good morning. All right, welcome. Welcome, everyone, to Haven Community Church. We're glad that you are here today. We have a couple of announcements. Number one, welcome to everybody once again. If you're visiting with us, um, we have a small gift for you. If you fill out the card and hand in, and we'll be glad that you um, are part of our church. If you're visiting for the first time uh, online, uh, whether Facebook or whether through Haven, just uh, send us a note to let us know what you think. We're glad that you're connecting. A um, couple other things we have next week uh, is the 21st of May. Isn't that crazy? Um, 21st of May, and um, we will be having our um, member, if you want interested in membership at Haven. So please plan to look at that. We are um, in our, our Hope Rising study. Uh, hopefully you're enjoying that. Everybody's connecting to Hope Rising. Um, this week, 
uh, May 19th through the 20th, we are having a youth lock-in. Uh, anything we need to talk about that? Okay. Okay, great. Great. So everybody can go ahead and connect, um, bring a friend, and there's information if you'd like to um, know more about that. But um, they're going to be collecting for uh, raising for the um, backpack program for school supplies. Here. Uh, Vacation Bible School. You can see that's um, already uh, going to be here in, in a month. Um, so Vacation Bible School, there's a sign-up out here, um, Marker Fun Factory, so it's going to be fun. You can go ahead um, and see more information about that. Um, let's see, the annual baby bottle drive. I know Judy wanted to mention something about that really quickly. Um, here you go. On Becky's mic. Here you go. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Um, some of you might not know if you're new here, but each year between Mother's Day and Father's Day, we have a fundraiser for the Pregnancy Center, for the Cecil County Pregnancy Center in Elkton. And what you do, you just take your bottle, you can fill it with a check, with bills, with change, whatever, and have it back here, please, no later than uh, June 12th. So and I, something came to my attention that I didn't know, and you probably don't either, but um, this, is, this was in a newspaper. It's an article about our pregnancy center. The very room once used to end lives through abortion in Elkton, Maryland, is now the setting where countless women will meet their children for the first time via ultrasound through the building's new uh, occupant, a life, I can't even read, a life-affirming pregnancy center. See, this is why I don't read up here for you. <clears throat> it says, once dubbed the Little Shop of Horrors, the former abortion clinic was operating secretively until 2010 raid. The remains of 35 frozen late-term aborted babies, including one that was 33 weeks gestation. And it says, it feels like a fresh breath of healing and encouragement is blowing through Cecil County, with us being able to take over that space. Dan Moore, who serves as the center's executive director, said, in the very room where he was doing his abortions, not he wasn't doing them, but anyway, we're putting our ultrasound and we're going to be saving lives. I like the transforming beauty of that. I skipped a little bit. That's why it sounded like Dan Moeller was doing them. <laughs> anyway, uh, the bottles are in the back. So if you would like to take one and fill it, it would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. All right. <laughs> All right. Somebody want to help her with reading next time? So. Okay. Okay, um, one of the things is uh, the, the bulletin insert does tell you more information about the Haven, um, Haven Fighting Hunger and the certain ways the youth group for the lock-in. Um, right now, though, um, we, you have the other thing about a mission trip in here, and we, uh, you want to bring everybody up. We want to bring everyone up for the, uh, that are planning on going on the mission trip. Please come on up. As we recognize, some are called to go and some are called um, to send. All right, so you guys have been hearing about the mission trip for a while now. Um, we're actually really late in the game here, uh, getting this thing off to, and running. But you can see we've already got a number of people. Not everybody's here yet. We, we believe right now we'll have about 10 people um, that are going. And as Jack said, you know, we, some of us are feeling called to go, okay, including Jim who's sitting back there. Um, 
But some of us, we want to make sure that this church is, is all, everyone is able to participate in some way or another. And so what we're doing today is we're launching um, this effort here. Uh, Debbie's going to tell us a little bit about it. But before I say anything about it, I, or before she does, I just wanted to ask everybody to, the first thing that you can do is pray. Because everyone here has a story as to why they're going and what God's calling them to do. So um, let me have Debbie, oh, there's Debbie. So you want to share real quickly? Sure. So you all received this paper in your bulletin today, um, and it tells a little bit about Haiti. They live off of, um, family lives off of $560 a year. So it's a really poor country. But perhaps most alarming is that they, were, they are voodoo worshipers. They don't know Jesus. So we'll be serving and doing a lot of different things, but we'll also be able to introduce them to Jesus. And we want everybody to be a part of it. So this form gives you an opportunity to pledge um, to support the team financially and or through your prayers. And we're hoping that everybody supports it through their prayers. Um, the nice thing here is that if you pledge, you don't have to have the money in until December 31st. As long as your money is in by December 31st, that's good. So we would ask that you would make a pledge and commit to supporting the team um, because this is Haven's mission trip. It's not ours, the people who are up here. This is Haven's mission trip. Yep, so if you can pray about this, um, you can uh, also cut this off and put it in the, in the offering plate if you'd like to do so. Um, it, it says on here, the total cost for the team and supplies, we estimate at this point around 10 people, is about $18,000. So as you can imagine, God calls sometimes and and you're not sitting with $18,000 in your pocket. So um, any support that you can give um, to send people would be great. And um, Lisa has volunteered um, to uh, give us her specific reasons for coming. But you can also go on the website. You can give there. And you can also um, see the testimonies of the people who are going. Yeah, I volunteer because we all have to do it, so I just wanted to get it done. Um, I can talk to any one of you individually, but talking up here in front of everybody, I'm very nervous. I'm shaking. Um, it's kind of ironic that I talk today because of it being Mother's Day because um, my reason for going is my daughter. A lot of you don't may not know that I do have a daughter who's 24. Um, she doesn't believe in God, but that's another whole story. Um, I didn't have like a Jack moment where I was five in Federalsburg where I had that you know, God coming to me. I've always grown up in a church family, was always very active. Um, so I've always known that God loved me um, and that I love him and believe that he sent his son for my sins and yours. Um, I was, I've always wanted to go on a mission trip. I don't have the money to go on a mission trip. Um, so I debated um, and really thought about it. And then... Um, in March, I found out that um, my one of my daughter's old boyfriends, who actually came, slept in my home, did all kinds of things, um, killed his mother. And um, he had made a threat to me that he was going to kill my daughter. But at that time, you know, you don't think it's ever going to happen. Well, thank God for Jack, because Jack was with me through that whole episode. And my daughter did get away from him. But when she called me and told me that he had killed his own mother and walked away from the home, and if the funeral home hadn't found out, 
he would have gotten away with it. Um, after a couple of days of shock, I really realized how much that God loves me and you. And I really want to share. I mean, let's face it, we are so blessed. We live in America where we can, I'm sorry, where we can praise God and share. So my hope is that I can go to Haiti and share God's love with even just one person and let them know how much that God loves them. As you'll see in the in the paper, um, a lot of them practice voodoo and don't even know about God. So, I mean, even if I can just tell one person about God and his love for them, it's worth it for me. Thank you. All right, so there are 10, at least 10, maybe more stories um, as to why people are wanting to go. Please pray about this. Please support um, this mission trip. I think it's not just an impact for the people there, but it's an impact for people back here as well as these people go and come back. So thank you all. All right. So definitely be praying about um, all those things and for the, for the group, too, as well. All right. At this time, we have our prayer concerns. Um, I want to lift up um, Emily, Emily Hewitt, ask for prayers. Continue prayers for Mark Whitmore, who has um, a swollen optic nerve and possible tumor behind his eye. So we want to lift him up in prayers as well. Um, anyone else that we can lift up? Yes. Damien Porter. Okay. Continue to lift up in prayers. Okay. Definitely. Yes. La What's her last name? Stephanie Zhang. Stephanie Zhang. We want to lift her. Okay. Okay. Stephanie and Joe Zhang, they lost, in case you didn't hear, they lost twins right before Easter. So we want to continue to lift them up in prayers. Okay. Any more? Yes. Okay. You heard of Thelma and Louise? <laughs> Just saying. And, and everywhere they go. Pray for everywhere they go. All right. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, yeah. Wait, we're here. Okay. So pray for traveling mercy. Yeah. So she went, in case you didn't hear, she went on the walk to Emmaus, and so she just thanks God for all the prayers and everything there. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and um, so many needs, uh, so many uh, concerns, so many joys, God. We want to lift those up and not be remiss there. Um, and so, God, we want to lift up every single area that we already did and prayed for. And now during this time, God, um, for those who are struggling with health issues, those struggling with just, just life issues, um, be with them and uh, strengthen them by your Holy Spirit. And for those of us, God, that have joy in connecting to you a little bit deeper, um, for those who are planning on going on a mission trip and don't have a clue why, uh, or maybe just want, you know, feel your call to do so, um, we thank you for them, for this church that loves you so much, that meets the needs here and around the world. We now give you praise 
And God, during the rest of this time together, we just set ourselves aside and, and put you on the throne and um, just ask that your spirit just move mightily through this place and through everyone who hears this. And God, let us just experience you more deeply than ever before. As Lisa reminded us, we are so blessed. And God, at this time, we give a portion of that blessing back to you and ask you to multiply it and use it for your kingdom, not for ours, um, to meet the needs here and around the world. Um, and God, today on this day that um, we, ha- we celebrate mothers, motherhood, for those of us who were blessed with incredibly godly and awesome mothers, we give you thanks. For those of us who were, were given mothers that didn't fulfill those roles as much, God, um, we thank you that you put those in our path that assumed those roles and taught us about your love. And so that, and for all other things, God, we give you praise in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Your favor, Lord, is our desire. 
makes you stand in silence. Your love, your love is better than life. Open up the skies of mercy and rain down the cleansing flood, healing waters rise around us. Hear our cries, Lord. morning. Our scripture this morning is Ruth verses, chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 and then 8 to 12. In the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his, wife's, his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kelon. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kelon also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now we jump to verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. I remember just one particular case when we were forced into a situation where a family behind us, their home went up in flames. And there's a huge pine tree in our backyard, and there was a lot of fear, and the fire trucks came out and whatnot, of that uh, pine tree going up in flame and then infecting our home. And our whole neighborhood came out. They got the word, uh, word spread that uh, there was a fire, and they came and helped us take all the stuff out of our home that, you know, when you panic, you say, well, what's going to happen here? We know that all the photo albums and the videos and everything that we have that, that means so much to us. I just remember time um, just a few years ago, when I got laid off a job. And um, that was not actually the first time that had happened, but it came at the heels of lots of other things that had happened in my life. I had been um, divorced, um, I'd lost both of my parents at different times, but was just feeling very alone. There's something different when you lose your parents, it doesn't matter how old you are. Um, and that made me feel alone. Um, 
My divorce made me feel alone. So I think when I got to the point where I lost my job, it was sort of like the last straw. Just seeing our neighbors come out, our connection group come out and really help us out, that was a moment where I felt like I'm not alone. And community means everything to us. I had good friends who um, cared about me, who would ask me out and, you know, buy me lunch. And not only that, um, I really turned to, to God and really just trusted Him. And through it said, um, even if I just remain alone this way for the rest of my life, I still always have you. And no matter what happens through this, that's where I want to end up. I want to end up holding on to God, and I want you to make me the person that I need to be through this. I just remember looking back when there was a, just a few phone calls that were made, and I thought, people aren't going to come out. People aren't going to help us. They're too busy. The speed of life catches up with everybody, and they came. And that's when I knew hope was rising. I started seeing God show up, and he proved to me that I was not alone and would never be alone. Hope rising. Um, I, I was talking to um, somebody the other day, and they were telling me um, that they're, they're enjoying the messages, um, but one of, some of the things are just the personal testimonies from individuals about God's hope rising in the midst of their lives. Um, really seems to mean a lot. So again, she'll kill me, but I want to thank Debbie for doing a great job last week as well. Just awesome job. And she's done a lot of stuff this week. She also taught disciple and some other things for me. So, um, but that's good. She, w she let Pete come to church today, um, so we're thankful for that. Um, <laughs> she made him stay home last week. All right. So um, today I'm going to give you the perfect Mother's Day message. We're going to talk about going it alone or being single, okay? One of the things that we in churches tend to do is a lot of times we go ahead and we end up sharing a lot, uh, and we assume and share a lot about couples and, and uh, marriages and, and different things like that. But I want to I wanna think about it. I want you to think about it. The fact of the matter is it can feel awkward at times um, if you're going through life alone. Like, for instance, our culture is really geared for this whole kind of pair thing. Am I right? Um, think about it. When's the last time you heard of somebody on a game show winning an all-expense uh, trip paid trip for one. Never, right? It's always two or four, correct? So we have that, that kind of situation. Living single, living single in a world built for at least two or for pairs can be very, very difficult. <coughs> and it can at sometimes be like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole when we look at this thing. So before those of you who are coupled up decide to check out on this message, I want to share some other things, um, some facts, some profound research that I found that I want to share with you before you check out. Um, and this is really good for you, even if you're married, because I found this. Are you ready for this research that I did? Okay. Not all of us will be married in our lifetime, <coughs> um, but many of us will have been or have been solo for a large portion of that. Are you shocked? No, not, was anybody born married? Exactly. There we go. So you, there, there's a lot of reasons that we may be solo in this life. Um, many who are married or coupled up right now, one day you may, not, you may be single again, whether by the death of a spouse um, or even divorce. No, anybody who has been divorced, I never have met one person who has said, yeah, when we spent all that money on the wedding, we planned on getting divorced. No one has ever said that, but it happens in life as well, and it can be devastating. So today what I want to do is 
just talk about this um, from, and we're going to use godly principles from this area. And I want to tell you, this is the first time in 21 years I've actually ever preached from Ruth. Uh, it's amazing to me. I've never preached from Ruth that I can remember. Um, and so today I really want to go ahead and, and preach from Ruth. And I found some discoveries. Now, discovery number one is there are lots of people that face life solo. <laughs> in the United States, in 2016, 45% of adults 18 and older were single. If you add to that 16 and older, 50.2 people, so it is the majority of the people in the United States that live single from 16 and older. So we are in the majority. But what I've also found out in this, you can't lump them all in one category because there's a lot of different and unique challenges that we have here. And so we're going to look at the Old Testament book of Ruth, and it was written thousands of years ago, and there's three main characters, excuse me, <coughs> there's three main characters in this book that teach us how different lives unmarried people can have. And the first one is this lady named Naomi. There's Naomi. Now, Naomi is an older widow. Years earlier, Naomi was married. She lived in the town of Bethlehem, and she and her husband moved to, um, from there to the area of Moab, where the Moabites were. And they had two sons that were there. And while they were there, they got married. And then all of a sudden, life hit. And her husband died, and her two sons died. So you can imagine the challenges that exist there. You can imagine the pain that she was experiencing, that both her husband and her two sons died. So she's the first person that we're going to look at. The second person is the title of the book, and her name is Ruth. And Ruth is a young single widow with no children, and she's one of Naomi's daughter-in-laws. And so that, that's the other person. And the third person that we're going to talk about is this guy named Boaz. Doesn't Boaz sound like somebody who would be in a romance novel? I'm Boaz. Either that or a bad 80s movie, okay? Um, Biff and Boaz. Um, he is a single, middle-aged, wealthy guy who has apparently never been married. And what we learn from Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, it reminds us that there's a lot of people who face life alone, and they can't be lumped into one category. So there's a couple of revelations that I had with this discovery of how a lot of people face life solo. And the first one is, number one, like Boaz, there are those who have never been married. Some have never been married for a number of different reasons. Number one, they may have been disillusioned by the people they have dated and said, I don't need more baggage in my life. All right? Anybody ever gone out on a date? You said, if this is the only person I have to pick from, forget it. Okay? We have that. Some have never dated because they are disillusioned by the example that their parents have set. Right? Anybody... Anybody have some challenges to marriage because your parents probably didn't give you the best example of marriage, and, and um, you said, I don't want any parts of that. And some desperately want to be married, but the right opportunity has not come along, and they feel frustrated. There was a, uh, a friend of mine down in Lewis, and she prayed and prayed and prayed, and she's an awesome person, and really want, wanted somebody to, to marry, and God has never really sent that person her way. And so she... Um, she, she struggled with that. It's been very frustrating. It's kind of like the widow who had been married several times, and she was crying over an urn of ashes, and she said, he was my fourth husband, and she cried and cried, and there was a jealous older lady next to her and said, look, she's got husbands to burn, and I can't find one. <laughs> the fact is that some of us may never be married because we have chosen to be single 
in our lives too. Uh, how, for those of you who have been single for a period of time, how many times did you have somebody who had the perfect person to set you up with? Anybody? Anybody have that situation? If you're single right now, people are afraid to raise your hand because somebody wants to set you up right now. We love to do that. Um, I had friends who were pastors who were single, and they would set them up with everybody. And you always get nervous when they say, it's a really nice person, right? You always have that. So, so that's um, in the New Testament, it actually talks about some people having the this, this spiritual gift of singleness. So that, that's the first one. The next one is there are those who experience divorce. Many of you know firsthand that divorce is devastating. Divorce turns your world upside down. And there's several awkward moments that occur after divorce. Like how do you relate and socialize with those friends that you had couple dates with, right? That you went out with as couples or families. It kind of feels weird because they feel in the middle and they've got to kind of choose, feel like they've got to choose sides and they don't know how to react. And so if they go out still as couples and they invite you, you feel like a fifth wheel. But if they don't invite you, you get mad because they didn't invite you. It's a weird place, am I right? You have those situations that happen at times. And although Ruth is a young widow, I believe that she has some of the same adjustments and challenges that many have gone through in divorce. And the third thing, and the third area that we have for those who go alone, are widowed and widowers. And as I look around the room, I see several of you here. Like Naomi and Ruth, some of you have had the burden that you once could not have imagined. That you, had, you were married to the love of your life, and all of a sudden, tragedy hit and they're no longer here. I remember there was a lady who I was very close to in Lewis, Delaware, who um, she and her husband were headed to a restaurant, many of you know it in Seaford, Delaware, called Suicide Bridge Restaurant. It's a really popular restaurant. They were headed, and they were riding in a car and coming near where railroad tracks were, and a truck carrying a trailer on it that had one of those big things, that uh, stump removers on the back of it, the, uh, it, it popped off the ball and the hitch, caught the railroad, um, the railroad uh, rail, flipped it up in the air, and the um, stump remover landed completely on her husband's side of the car, killing him instantly and not putting a scratch on her. They were going to celebrate their anniversary. Completely changing your life in a moment's notice. Some of you can relate to those feelings and understand what Ruth and Naomi and also the other um, daughter-in-law, Orpah, had dealt with. And so you can't imagine that amazing grief that she had. This is one of the most difficult adjustments in life. I've often told people who deal with situations like this, and anybody who deals with death, that about two or three weeks after everybody has gone back to normal life, you go back to life that is never, ever normal for you. And it's interesting the challenges that occur. Like, for instance, um, my grandmother used to talk about cooking too much food. That one point when you had family and you had a spouse and you cooked the right amount of food, now you don't know what to cook or how to cook anymore. Or maybe you set the table with that extra place and it, doesn't, it seems like you should because you've done it so long and then all of a sudden you're hit with the reality that they're gone. That loss of a spouse tends to freeze your life in so many ways and so many widows and widowers tell me time and time again, it's as if I just died when they died or a part of me died that I'm never ever going to get back. Many of you give up on living and you lose hope altogether and don't have a future because you've been connected to someone for so long. In other words, this is one of the most difficult forms of grief that exists in the entire world. <clears throat> Maybe you or someone close to you has gone through this, the, this grief process that Naomi and Ruth 
and Orpah have gone to. You see, a lot of people are living this single life, some by choice, some by not choice, and there's so many diverse needs. So that's what brought me to discovery number two. Discovery number two is simply this. There are challenges to living this solo or single life. So what we learn here is after the husband died and after her sons died, Naomi's talking with her her daughter-in-laws, and she tells them um, that they need to move on and go back to the hometown of Bethlehem, that she's going back. Her daughter-in-laws, who were from Moab, said, no, 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 Um, we'll go with you. We really, really like you. We really go with you. So they went ahead, and they decided to go back with them. However, Naomi says this in Ruth um, chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, in the uh, New Living Translation, go back to your mother's homes instead of coming with me. May the Lord bless you with security of another marriage. In other words, Naomi is saying, you don't need this old dead weight with you. Because as we look at the time then, um, one of the things that the early church was told to do was to take care of widows because they had no, no means for income. They couldn't get it. They couldn't, they couldn't just go and work all the time. They couldn't get a job that would equal the pay that they would have. And, and they weren't considered legal heirs of anything. It went to usually the male route of the family. So this was a situation. She said, you don't need my old broken down self. You need to go and be able to find a new husband so that you're still young enough that you can be provided for. So this, this was continuing. In other words, what Naomi was first dealing with was this first challenge that we deal with in singleness, and that's this word, the L word, loneliness. Loneliness. The Beatles asked several years ago in Eleanor Rigby, all the lonely people, where do they come from? But you see, loneliness is not a respecter of people. Loneliness affects so many people. It strikes successful people. It strikes wealthy people. It strikes followers of Jesus. It strikes people of faith. It strikes those who are surrounded by people. It strikes those who seem to have, be the life of the party and have everything in life. It even strikes those who are married and have families and everything seems to be good on the surface. But deep down in, there's a loneliness that's there. There's so many people that exist in this world that live in their own isolated loneliness, even though they have people around them all the time. And so I want you to go ahead and see this brief video clip of a lady named Adrian and sharing a little bit about her loneliness. Uh, the problem with facing it alone is that you don't have anybody to talk to to give you perspective on those crazy ideas that pop into your head in the middle of the night. There was a time when I was in college and I remember walking around campus at one or two o'clock in the morning just wondering why I didn't have anybody to talk to and I didn't have anybody to kind of help me get these thoughts out of my head and into some kind of perspective. I was just um, alone, you know, walking around, looking at the trees, looking at the moon, wondering when life was going to change and and I knew God was there but I needed a real person to talk to and to kind of hold my hand and go and tell me it was going to be okay. Many of us have experienced some of those things where we feel that loneliness, we know God's there, but we need the touch of a real person. We need somebody to go ahead and say, yeah, I really need that. You see, uh, after Naomi had asked her daughter-in-laws to go and turn around, Orpah, yes, that's where Oprah Winfrey got her name from, in case you want to know. It is. She said her grandmother couldn't spell and, and mis, 
uh, spelled it. And so her name should have been Orpah Renfri, but that seems weird, doesn't it? Um, but anyway, Orpah turned around and went back to Moab. But Ruth made a statement to her mother that you often hear at weddings, but it was originally a mother-in-law to a, I mean, a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. And she says this in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. I will go wherever you go, and I will live wherever you live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. I will die where you die and will be buried there. May the Lord punish me ever severely if I, if I allow anything but death to separate us. Anybody ever heard that at a wedding? Okay, um, that, that tends to happen at times as well. So you see, what Ruth realized at this point, even though experiencing loneliness, Ruth realized the second challenge slash opportunity in singleness or soloness is this, adventure. Adventure. And I like this one, adventure. Ruth saw in that a positive challenge that she had here and a new opportunity for adventure. Ruth was saying to Naomi, you know what, I don't, I don't have anything tying me here anymore. I'm going to go where you're going to go. Let's go figure out. I've never been to Bethlehem. Sounds good. Heard great stories. Let's go. Let's try it out. I can do something. We heard about Thelma and Louise today getting ready to head off, right, in their own situation. You can do those things at many times because living solo often allows you an opportunity or freedom of adventure more than if you were married and more than you were, if you were married with children. For instance, you can travel more. Believe me. If I didn't have five kids, I would travel more. But for some reason, I got to take them most of the time. All right? Um, You can be available to God for more opportunities and more trips, missions, and more other kinds of things. You can be more available to God. You can uh, go ahead and you can hang out with fatherless and, and motherless kids. You can give up your time. You can serve in ministry areas that you may never have thought. You can even take more financial and career risks within reason. In other words, in many ways, you can have an opportunity to do what you want to do rather than what you have to do at times. And sometimes there, you, it gives you another opportunity of adventure. There are too many people that are uh, affected um, by the spirit of adventure that if, if I went home today and said, you know what, For, forget this whole deal, I'm going to outer Swabovia and be a missionary. Number one, I would experience singleness from my wife as I'll be divorced tomorrow probably, but it would bring a lot of challenges, wouldn't it? I would have six other people that it would affect immediately in my household if that happened, correct? And so that's what we're saying. Once Ruth and Naomi went ahead and decided to take this adventure together to Bethlehem, Ruth did something that is very interesting. She went to the fields to pick up leftover grain that was left over by the farmers, and why in the world did she do that? Why did she do that? She's hungry, and she also needed a job. She needed to work. And that brings us to our next challenge, which is a cross between our career and our finances. Ruth had to go to work. She no longer had a husband who was going to provide for her or a father-in-law or a brother-in-law, so she had to go ahead and take care of this herself. She was determined to find a career that would help feed and pay for her mother-in-law and herself. And there's a degree of freedom that existed here that she could pursue the career, uh, a career. And there's one that singleness can tend to do as well. You can work later hours. You can go in earlier. You can take jobs with constant travel. Now, we also need to recognize, though, for single moms and those on fixed incomes, it makes it extremely challenging today. Statistics for teen moms 
And for mothers who have never been married, it's astronomical, the poverty level that they have. Studies show that while men experience a 42% rise in the standard of living after divorce, women and children typically experience a 73% decline. Something wrong there, isn't it? Ruth went to work picking up leftover grain in the field. Now, that probably was not on her list of her dream job, to go ahead and pick up leftover grain left in the field. It wasn't glamorous and it wasn't lucrative, but it provided. Now, what's very interesting here is if you read the Scripture... And I find this fascinating when, when we look at life in our, in our world. The people in the Old Testament were told not to gather every single bit of grain. Not to, intentionally, though, to drop off some. To intentionally leave some there so that you could provide for those who were less fortunate. So in other words, in their jobs, they didn't do it 100%. Or they actually did it 100% but made sure there was at least 10% left for people to pick up on the ground. That's amazing. It's amazing. So you could take care of others. That's a whole other sermon we're not going to get into. But it would be the equivalent of cleaning up trash on the road or picking up cans for a living and going and taking them in. It wasn't the most exciting job that she had. You know, I mean, I know, how many of you have ever picked up cans and taken them to, uh, crushed them and taken them to like the recycling uh, and got paid some money? Anybody ever done that? How many of you were very disappointed after you got the money that you got for them? Yeah, nobody's getting wealthy on aluminum can recycling, you know? And how many of you have said, well, if it paid more, I'd do it more, right? We've done that. But this is what she was doing in life. She was going ahead and just picking and picking and not getting a ton back. But the thing is, it was respectable. And she did what she had to do and what she wanted to do to go back to Ruth. She could have stayed in Moab, probably remarried, but her commitment was different. You see... Ruth wasn't in the most glamorous position, but because of her commitment to her mother-in-law and to God, she was in the right position and the right place. And then on the job, she found the fourth challenge of going solo, the D word, dating. Now, it's been a lot of years, almost 30 years since I dated, and that scares me to death if I'd ever have to do that again. How many else would be afraid of that again? All right? It's changed all over. You know, but I think by the time, last time I was dating, I was putting on acid wash jeans and, you know, whatever. Um, I don't think I'd get very far this time, would I? Um, it would be uh, pretty weird. But as we look at this, for some of us, for the people who are single, dating is just part of the deal. And you've gone with the ebbs and flows. Some of you have experienced online dating that's out there now, right? Um, some of you have uh, experienced all this, like Match.com. Interesting enough, the same lady whose husband died came in one time and talked to me about online dating. She was in her eight, er, late 70s. I thought, this is cool. All right? I said, go for it. What, that's, that's awesome. All right? Uh, there's all kinds of sites. Farmer's Daughter. If you want a farmer's daughter, go ahead. There it is. Right? They've got black people meat. Right? They got that one. Anybody got another one? Plenty of fish. There you go. Um, Christian Mingle. Christian Mingle. That's the one that has that song. I want to fall in love. You know, it's a great song. Can't sing anymore. I think of the, the, the ads on there. We have them all over. You can go ahead and do that. Anybody ever done a speed dating thing where they put people in a room and they give you tags and you go around? I, I see it on, on like TV and like uh, comedies and other kinds of things. I can think of nothing more fun and horrific, right, um, that you can do that. Others, 
Others are, have a challenge when it comes to dating. You, you go ahead and you say, well, where can I find somebody? Where can I meet somebody? Gene Apple, who wrote, um, who wrote this book and who is the pastor, he, uh, um, in the late 80s, his, um, because of life, he found out one day that his wife came home and told him, I'm in love with somebody else. I've been with somebody else. I'm leaving you and got divorced. He was devastated. He was the pastor of the largest church in Nevada at the time. And he said, then he started dating. And he went out on this date with this young lady, and he told her um, that Friday afternoon was, was the best time for a schedule. He said, really, he did that because the movies were cheap at the time. So they went to the movies, and he went, and he said he was afraid of dating, not the experience of dating, but the thing that he was afraid of most is the people would see him. And they, it was a, they went in kind of when it was dark, and there was a whole row that was open, and he said they started to go in. She went in first, and he started going, and there was a man all the way down at the end. He sat down, and he heard, hey, pastor, how you doing? And he's like, oh, hey, how you doing? He said it was just awkward. He wasn't used to this whole kind of thing um, that exists there. But you see, Ruth goes into this field, and she gets noticed by our third character, and his name is Boaz. And in Ruth 2, 5, it says this, Boaz asked the foreman, who's that girl over there? Who is that girl? You see, because Boaz is a great guy. He's got great character. He's got integrity. He loves God, and he is loaded. Now, I know some of you who are single right now are going to find a field and start picking away. Am I right? You're ready. You're ready to go. You're going to be picking every field you see. You're going to stop and do that to find your own Boaz. Um, But I don't think Ruth found him in the wrong places. I don't think she went on a meat market and said, okay, here we go. This is what I want. I want. I think she went to a place. She just kept doing what was right. She kept her act together, and in the place that she least expected it to happen, it wasn't lo- she wasn't looking for it. God made a great way with a great guy. So to make a long story short, short Boaz befriended Ruth, and he really liked her, and Naomi found out about this budding romance, and she decided to play Cupid. And Naomi says this, I know where Boaz will be tonight, so here's what I want you to do. You bathe. Because you've been out in the field, you're stinking. I want you to smell good, okay? I want you to put on perfume. I want your hottest dress. I want you to look nice. I want you to look fine. And then you're going to go to the barn where he's working and staying tonight. And after he eats and lies down to go to sleep, you go and lay down at his feet. Huh? Now, I'm going to stop the comparisons here. Don't go lay at somebody's feet in the middle of the night. They will put a restraining order on you and probably have you arrested. Or worse, okay? So what's she telling him to do? It's not what we think by today's standards. In other words, in those days, it was actually a proposal. And she was going and saying, hey, I am available for marriage. And I am willing to relocate and be here. She was actually a very liberated woman at this time. And in Ruth 3, 8 through 11, it says, suddenly around midnight, imagine if you're Boaz. You're sleeping. You've had a hard day work. He's sleeping in a barn because it was what would happen is sometimes people would come in and steal it, thieves. So they slept there. He's sleeping in a barn. He's laying there. It's midnight. He's asleep. And all of a sudden, around midnight, he, he wakened and sat up, startled. And there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he demanded. A woman at your feet, okay? And she says, it is, it's I, sir, Ruth, she replied. Make me your wife according to God's law, for you are my close relative. And look what he says here. Thank God for a girl like you. Of course he did, right? I think one of the reasons Boaz was single, he wasn't good at this dating thing, right? He wasn't good at it at all. He had a woman at his feet saying, marry me. He's like, sure, no problem. What a girl. Woo, yeah, okay. Um, Anybody ever met your wife like that you want to share? Okay. 
I love this. Don't you love how the scripture is real? I mean, the Old Testament is so real about things. And he said, now don't worry about a thing, my child. I'll handle all the details for everyone knows what a wonderful person that you are. Isn't that an awesome story? You know, it's like the woman whose husband died and she was so distraught. She had inscribed on the tombstone, the light of my life has gone out. And after years had gone by, most people say about two, three years, it takes somebody a while to get through the emotional struggles of those things. She fell in love again and remarried a a, a wonderful man. She wasn't sure about the tombstone, though, as she would go visit, which said, the light of my life has gone out. And so she thought and she thought, and then she had this inscribed on the bottom. It said, the light of my life has gone out, but I struck a new match. This is what Ruth did. Ruth struck another match. She found another match in life. And she and Boaz became husband and wife. And you know what's really awesome? If you look at the scriptures, they're in the lineage of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That God was working all the way through. And as we wrap down a couple things in this intense and awesome practical story, I want to draw three practical experiences for when hope rises when you're facing it alone. And here's a couple principles I want to share with you. Number one, be patient while you grieve. This is for, especially for people who have been through divorce or death. Experts say it takes about two to three years before your emotions settle to a point where you become stable again. And I want to clear up something of confusion that we deal with in the church. The Bible does not say that when we go through difficult times that we need to pretend and act as if everything's okay. It's not a sign of strength to go ahead and say, oh, it's all right, it's all right. I remember, I remember when I was younger, um, traveling in what we affectionately called the bomb. It was a big green Mercury station wagon, um, and it was awful and good at the same thing. It was the SUV of the 70s and 80s. Um, and we were there, and then as I got older, um, the same thing kind of happened with my own kids in the van. You know, when you put kids together for a while and for trips, they begin to fight with each other about too much air, not enough air, you're sitting too close to me, particularly when you didn't have seatbelts to, like, separate them all the time. They touch each other. They're looking at me. They're saying things, and there's all this fighting. And my parents used to do what I used to do. Okay, now it's time to play the quiet game. Let's see who can be the quietest. How many ever played the quiet game? How many ever told your kids to play the quiet game, all right? We even, we even put it to a new level. Sit on your hands. Let's see who can sit on their hands the longest. And the quiet game is whoever is quiet the longest wins, Actually, the parents are the only ones who win in that deal um, if it works, but it often doesn't, doesn't work. And, you know, a lot of times that's how we are in the church. We think we've got to play the quiet game to be, to be strong. And it's not scriptural, not anywhere. The scripture tells us that there is a time for everything, a time to grieve and a time to mourn. You know, people pretend that it doesn't hurt by playing their own spiritual quiet game, by watching television, by working long hours, by drinking drugs or eating their problems away, by spending lots of money. And when people ask you if you're doing fine, they say, oh, yeah, I'm fine, it's okay. It's not. Some people think that being a good Christian is just sucking it up and going through things rather than grieving. That does not come from the Bible. Ruth and Naomi took time to mourn, so be patient while you grieve. Number two, Don't go it alone. You don't have to. When Ruth was moving back to Bethlehem, when Naomi was going back to Bethlehem, Ruth said, wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I will live. I'm not going to let you go through this alone. You're going to do it together. 
In the early church, they really had it perfect. In Acts chapter 2, 42, they cared about each other and they never would go it alone. Look at what it says here. They joined with one another and other believers and devoted themselves to fellowship and all the believers met together, how much? Constantly, and they did what? Shared everything they had and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared meals with great joy. They took care of everybody so no one was in need. The first believers understood about relationship and the power of personal relationship. They were devoted to small groups. They were devoted to the larger group. And they were devoted to each other's needs. We all need relationships like that. And that's why at Haven, from its onset, I want it to be about relationships. That's why twice a year we make a commitment to launch church-wide groups like Hope Rising. To give you an opportunity to connect to other people. To gather with people. And I hope that in many of these cases, as happened before, that these groups don't stop, that you still have those people to connect together. That's why we have Disciple Bible Study where we go 30-some weeks together and form relationships with people. That's why we have all kinds of different things, to connect each other together, because we are better together than we could be alone. Now, I know right now as you're going through your mind and you're going through your calendar and you're thinking of a billion excuses, why not? Well, who has time to carve out a night every week or every other week for this? To sit down with people I might not even like. If you're single, you may say, um, I don't know if I want to take the time, and some of those people aren't even good looking. You may say that. I don't know. But whatever it is, we all need other people in lives where we can rejoice with those who rejoice with us and can mourn with us when we need to mourn. Remember Adrian at the beginning? I'm going to show you this brief little video clip of Adrian, and she's going to tell you the rest of her story. I did meet a, a group of people where uh, I kind of was telling them about some of the loneliness that I'd experienced in the past and, and some of the issues that I'd faced and um, I was very insecure and um, not very confident in, in expressing myself or, or asking for friendship um, and I think they sensed that and one of the girls looked at me and said we are going to get to know you this year. You cannot escape us. We're gonna to get to know you, and that's that. It was just a, a really new feeling. It, it gave me kind of this feeling of security that I didn't have to try so hard, that these people were gonna help me figure out how to be in community with them. I wish every one of us could and would experience that in life. Here she is feeling so alone, and it took one person saying, I know, but you're gonna get to, I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to spend time with you. There may be somebody here right now that you just need to reach out and say, I've seen you every week since I've been here. Or this may be the first time I've ever seen you in my life. I'm going to get to know you this year. May freak them out a little bit, but say, hey, let's get together. I want to get to know you because I, I, think, I think you're an awesome person, et cetera, et cetera. Go from there. You know, and that's what brings us to this last part. God wants nobody in his church to be alone. And this last one is we all must learn to be content in life. I know some unmarried people who have made themselves miserable trying to convince themselves that they're miserable because they're not married and they need somebody else to make them happy. And yet I know many married people who are miserable because they say they need to be single. Right? You know them too. Basically, that I want to tell you something the scripture says, is you need to be content whether you're married or single. The Apostle Paul, 
was single and he was content. And how do I know that? In Philippians chapter 4, he said this. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every, all circumstances. You're like, all right, well, let me know. Let me know what it is. And he says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Contentment for him was not in a person. And if you're looking for contentment in a person, you're never going to find it, ever. I don't care who it is. You see, contentment only comes through Jesus Christ. Married, single, or what have you. You see, I admire Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz because all three of them show us how important it is to have hope rising when facing alone. Boaz, who was single most of his life, eventually married a wonderful woman. Ruth, who was married and saw her marriage cut short when she was young, was given a second chance by a God who loved her. Naomi remained single for the rest of her life, but she experienced joy, contentment, fulfillment, and happiness through her relationship with God and her relationship with other people. The good news for unmarried people is this, you can too. The good news is for married people, you can too. That's why you need Jesus. He's the secret of contentment, whether you're married or single, and you can do all things through him. So today, for those of you who are in a season of grieving your life because of a loss of a marriage, a relationship, a husband or wife, you need to be patient and to let it out. You don't need to be silent or play the silent game. You need to let it out. You don't have to hold it in. You need to go ahead and connect to a community. You need a Ruth and a Naomi community. Maybe you've joined in a Hope Rising conversation group with some friends, and that's the first step that you're having. Maybe you're not part of a group yet, but you want to go ahead and do so. And you can. It doesn't matter whether we're halfway through or not. We've got a list of those that you can connect to. Maybe you're going through divorce, death of a loved one, and you're so grieved you can't even begin to get past it. Maybe you need to connect to a group for that. Or maybe you just need a Stephen minister to begin the process to help you with healing. It's one of the reasons why we have that here. Or maybe you just need to find contentment with whatever situation you're in in life and put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdensome, and I will give you rest any minute. What friend, what spouse, what girlfriend, what boyfriend can ever give you that peace to the depth of your soul? No one but Jesus. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need a love that never fails, ever fails in life. Amen. I'd ask you to just please stand today. Lord God, as we uh, finish up our series today, or not our series, but this message today, um, I know there's many of us, God, who in life struggle. And... Um, and so, Lord, as uh, whatever it may be, whatever we struggle, whatever our life situation is, and loss or whatever, I just want you to um, help us know for those who have been through divorce, um, for those who have been through uh, widow or widowers, for those who are married and it's a bad situation or something's going on, that, God, we have contentment and peace in you. And the ultimate thing, God, is this. Um, we may not have, feel like we have a future because all those things have gone away, all those things that we put our hope and faith and trust in, those things that we put our relationships in, they're good things, God, but you have us here for a reason and a future. For you tell us that I have given you those things and to give you hope and a future. And so, God, until you take our last breath, 
until our last breath flees from us this life, we have a future. There's a future to glorify your name. And so, God, during this time, I ask that you reach out to all those who are hurting and struggling with whatever it may be, that you may bring the peace which passes every bit of understanding, and that is you, the peace of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, God, as we conclude this service today, and our Stephen ministers are up front, if there's those who are grieving for one need, those who are just struggling in life, we're here, this altar is open, and we want you to bring your Holy Spirit, your presence here to our life right now. And we're going to put our trust and faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, hey, y'all. So we're going to tone it way down. Wayne's not here. I'm echoing. But uh, you can sit, stand, whatever. I'm not picky about all that. But either way, what I want you to do, this is trust in you, Lauren Daigle. You guys probably know it really well, so I want to hear you sing it really well. And while you sing it, I just want everybody to own the song, sing it from your heart, think about it, let it apply to your own life, because I feel like sometimes we get up here and we sing and we lead and everything, it's not about us, it's about you. So I want you all to feel the song, I want you to sing it to God and really, really trust in him, whatever it is that you're going through. Letting go of every single dream each one down at your feet every moment of my wandering never changes what you see i've tried to win this war i confess my hands are weary i need your rest mighty warrior king the fight no matter what I face you're by my side when you don't move the mountains I'm needing you to move when you don't part the waters I wish I could walk through when you don't give the answers as I cry out to you I will trust I will trust I will trust in you
I will trust in you, okay? A couple of things, um, got two more things that we want to um, go through. So I hope you will trust in God no matter what your situation is. Next week um, is probably one of my favorites in the whole series, um, Hope Rising When You're About to Give Up. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about next week. And before you go, I want to give you a handful of Christian pickup lines, all right? Now, I know Solomon had 700 wives because he never met you. Is it hot in here, or is it just the Holy Spirit burning inside of you? So last night I was reading the book of Numbers, and I don't have yours. That's a good one. How would you like to be, uh, join my purpose-driven life? Um, I believe one of my ribs belongs to you. If uh, we were around Noah, then you and I would be a pair. I put the stud in Bible study. Yeah, I like that one. And do you need prayer? Because I'm certainly willing to lay hands on you. Have an awesome week. <laughs>